You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. In the future, all podcasts will be recorded at 60 miles per hour on the highway. This is Randy. This is Melanie. And we are headed to the Omaha Science Fiction Education Society OzFest Convention. This is real life hazard. Uh, there's going to be a, web, a couple web comic panels I definitely want to go to, and then there's going to be all kinds of different science fiction and horror movie panels. There's a, definitely a horror movie panel or two I want to go to. There's a couple of uh, writing panels that I'm interested in personally. Yep. Uh, Jesse is there now. He's got a table set up uh, for. Tank Zombie Studios, which is basically kind of a collaboration between him and his Tank Monkey webcomic brand and his friend Axton and his Zombie Oaks comic brand. They kind of do the Tank Zombie Studios when they do the tables. So we'll get there and we'll talk to him. He'll be chained to his table most of the weekend, I think. Um, But we're going to be going to panels. So we're here. We've been here for about an hour. Mm-hmm. Seems like we probably came a little early. Yeah, we did. And we went in. We found Jesse. Mm-hmm. Old guys are tempting Melanie with science fiction books. Yeah. I want them. I just can't afford them. And I don't have space for them because I already have too many. Jesse and Axon have their table set up. Looking good as usual. It looked like Jesse was doing the final, like putting things in place when we got there mm-hmm. and but eventually we had to shuffle out of the way because paying customers were coming up to the table mm-hmm. we even heard a uh, a mother-daughter arguing about whether it was uh tank monkey, tank monkey or um zombie zombie oaks yeah <laughs> first panel we went to was web comics what are you reading mm-hmm. with uh seth swanson i believe Yes. I believe he's the, he's the writer of a webcomic called Edge of December. And I didn't get a record, I didn't get a, like, ask him anything on, on audio yet, but he has a table, a booth, so I, I'm going to try to track him down and talk to him later. So hopefully that'll pop up after this. Yeah, and personally, that one was my favorite uh, of, of the day. Yeah, that's definitely one of my top two. Uh, it was interesting. The guy had a lot of interest, like he had an overabundance of interesting like material and web comics to recommend. Yeah. Um, the only downside to the panel was that it was supposed to be kind of a discussion, and I I actually tweeted him and I said that he did well, but uh, with that audience, a discussion was kind of an uphill battle. Yeah. Well, there were only six people there. Two of Two of them being us. Two of them being us. Um, and we're not very talkative, but actually we kind of tried to... I think we dominated the conversation uh, as far as the audience went. But, I mean, overall that was, yeah, that was definitely, that was one of my top two favorite panels of the yeah. day. 
After that, we shot right over to, was it character building? Yes. There was some definitely some good points uh, made about, you know, writing writing characters, um, specifically specifically kind of villains and stuff. They talked a lot about that. Uh, the other panels we went to um, was the next one we split up. Mm-hmm. Okay, I went to Who's the Villain, which was a discussion of, like, villains and villain motivation and, like... I don't know, it was kind of interesting. It was a comparison between heroes and villains, and really it was like they talked a lot about villains that could go either way. Mm-hmm. And it a little bit tied into some of the points they made um, that was made at the at the character building panel about how a villain should be the hero of his own story. You know, you could switch sides depending on how you look at it. Yeah. Uh, you went to the Dune panel. I did go to the Dune panel. It was a little rough for me because a lot of the discussion revolved around the uh, prequels, which I have not read. I have only read the original eight of the of the storyline that Frank uh, Herbert created. I haven't read any of the sequels that his son and um, I forget the other guy's name, but that they made. I'm a little surprised they focused more on the prequels than the original story. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I guess it was for perhaps fans that are slightly more hardcore than myself, I, I suppose. I mean, I love the original Dune series. It's great. The little bit that they talked about it, I enjoyed. It's just, you know, like I said, I haven't read all of the other books, um, so I couldn't really join in the discussion. And that's it was more of a discussion in that panel also, rather than just the panel giving you information. It was them saying things and asking questions of the audience and then you know back and forth discussion and then the last panel that we went to was i can't remember the name of it but oh only the finest cinema and it was basically um they played clips from b grade z grade and cult classic movies and then they kind of talked about it a little bit and that was the whole panel and there was some interesting stuff in there um, by that point, it was like 10 in, the, uh, 10 in the evening. It was 11 when it was over. Yeah, it was 11 when it was over, and we were tired. And there was one more panel we wanted to go to, which was actually probably the most interesting-sounding panel that we were... Yeah, it was the one we wanted to see the most. But we were beat. Yeah, I was exhausted. Jesse's here. <laughs> I don't know. I Like, just how how's it been going? You're on, like... I, I hate to be in the way, though. I don't want to be in the way of... I'm over here. We should try to keep an eye out. So how's it been going? It was it was a good first day, and we're starting day two. Uh, it's a slow start, but I think it's going to pick up. S- Saturday's always the day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know, I was putting you on the spot. No, you're good, you're good. But, it's way easier when I've got a headset and I'm totally alone. <laughs> no, I know, I know, right? <laughs> All right, I'm here with Seth, and we were at his webcomic panel uh Yesterday, we talked about it a little bit earlier. This will go in partway into one of our episodes. We're just kind of compiling, like, recording little snippets, and we'll compile it to an episode later. But do you want to talk about, uh, first, I guess, who you are and and the webcomic and stuff? Uh, We are edgeofdecember.com. We're a bi-weekly webcomic about three brothers who are trying to start a dojo, and they get into the various antics that they get into as they become involved with the local mafia and then run afoul of a band of international assassins. And it's very it's a martial arts action webcomic. It's very uh, 
very anime influenced, very manga influenced, lighthearted, good for all ages. I like the art. It's got a very it's got a very clean clean look to it. And and you write it, right? You're, you're yeah, I'm the author. Our artist is Glenn Kitchell. He's not here this weekend. He lives in Tucson, Arizona. So we kind of split the country up between us. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But he is very anime, very manga inspired, especially by Ruroni Kenshin. And you said the website is uh, w or it's just edgeofdecember.com. Okay. So no www. Uh, Twitter, Facebook. I'm trying to push the social aspect. We finally got a hold of Seth. He seemed like a very nice guy. Uh, you probably just heard his interview. We went to the um, the branding branding, okay, branding for podcast, and that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot, a lot of it uh, is things that we are we've already been doing. Yeah. Trying to, uh... So we're on the right track. Yeah. We just need you to start listening. <laughs> you listen. <laughs> listen! Oh. <laughs> we skipped a couple panels. One panel, we tried to find the room, and we couldn't find the room. Yeah, it was a... Um, hopefully we can talk to that guy later, because actually we were at his booth, but it wasn't that... Uh, but it was the guy, Stepson, uh, who was manning the booth at the time. Um, and then we were like, well, let's go to this panel. Oh, that's that's that guy we were trying to talk to. But we couldn't find the room. That or the panel just wasn't happening. I don't think that was the room. I don't think that was because the there's room. another like film room or something going on. Mm-hmm. But we talked to Jesse. Jesse and Axton are both super busy during these things, so it's hard yeah. to get them time to break away to talk to us uh, for any length. They're they're busy making money. They're making money. They're they're uh, using their, they're using their skills for money. I do a. I actually do a, a, a monthly podcast show um, with friends of mine uh, that's sort of built around my movies, but it's not specifically just the movies. Yeah. Uh, that was sort of the, that's the basis for it. The fan base sort of starts there, but then it branches out into movies and random. I mean, seriously. Uh-huh. The entire idea behind it, it's called the Mimiverse Bonfire Podcast, is I had a bunch of people that helped make the movies that, you know, in the summers will sit around a bonfire outside and just talk. And one of the guys said, we, we should just record these and just, like, make a podcast. Okay, let's do it. So that's what it is, because we just sit and we talk about the movies as we're making them, uh-huh. but then we branch out into other stuff, yeah. uh, talk about movies and just random crap. And I was like, this would be kind of fun. Let's do it. Yeah. We're like three years now we've been doing it. Yeah? Yeah. I don't know if it's growing much, but we have a good time doing it, so we still do it. Yeah, that's the main thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, first off, what's, what's your name? Are you recording now? I'm recording now. Fantastic. My name is Christopher R. Mim. I'm the writer and director of the films of the Mimiverse. The Mimiverse? That's that's actually a local guy, uh, Mitch Obrecht. He's, he's actually the film guy here, uh, coined the term. Uh, he was kind of the my my way into Ozfest, because he's a local. And uh, he saw like my first movie years and years ago at uh, a film festival we were doing here. Uh, and he just became a big sort of lifelong fan, and he termed he termed the coin. No, he coined the term. Yeah. Wow, long day. I need some food. Uh, yeah, we, yeah, we just got back. From, <laughs> we left. We had to leave for a little while and get something to eat. Um, so you've got nine completed. Nine complete films. And working on the ten. Working on number ten. Uh, we got about a quarter of it shot. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, so it's got the um, they've 
seemed to have the black and white like 1950s monster movie yeah type thing yeah. um do you want to talk about that like it's it's i sort of grew up watching them with my dad who was a huge fan of them and uh i always wanted to just kind of make a movie right mm-hmm. it's just something my entire life i'm like i want to make a movie for whatever reason um i've just been a big movie buff my whole life and uh you know, uh, when I finally decided that I, I, I found a way to make a movie, I kind of wanted to pay tribute to my dad. He's no longer with us. And I thought it would be kind of nice to, to pay tribute to the guy and, and, and make a movie that partially, the the idea behind it was that, you know, I can make mistakes and it'll actually add to the charm as opposed mm-hmm. to I'm going to try and make a big budget Hollywood movie and fail spectacularly. Yeah, yeah. I figure anything I fail at will just be charming. Um, but also, I'm, I'm a huge fan of those old cheesy movies, and I've kind of seen them all. Yeah. And so it's like there aren't any new ones. So I thought, well, I can I can add to them, too, then. And so uh, I made my first movie, which was called The Monster Phantom Lake. And I think what happened was is that it got such a positive response everywhere we went. Uh, and we had all these cool experiences around it. Like I got to see it at a drive-in, like all these cool things. I was like, I don't want to do anything else. This was just way too cool, and this is fun as hell. And so we made another one. And um, it just kind of snowballed, yeah. where I was like, this is just too much fun, and, and I kind of like sort of being known as the guy who does this, too, you uh-huh. know? Uh, there's a part of me that thought, it'd be so great to have someone look look me up on the IMDb and be like, I like that one movie, holy crap, he's made 30 of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? Uh-huh. And it just it became my niche, and I just gladly inhabit that niche. Now I haven't I haven't got a chance to see any of them, but are they like um, generally just like modern day, but in that style? There, I actually try to shoot for authentic. Go for kind of a period. I, I really yeah. want it to be. I want people to be confused um, as to whether or not they are from that era. Uh-huh. I want people if they come in the middle, be like, "What year was this made?" I always tell people that's my favorite compliment is when they say, "What year what was year? this made?" Yeah, yeah. and they don't believe me. Uh, and I actually, I had a fight with a woman at a con once who she was convinced she'd seen one of my movies when she was a kid. Uh, and she had to be like 60-something. And I was like, no, it came out last year. No, no, no. I saw this when I was a kid. And she got mad. I was like, no, I'm serious. I made it. That's, she wouldn't believe it. That's hilarious. But you know you hit your mark then. Exactly. Especially, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, no, I, I'm, I'm going for authenticity. And uh, I'm, I'm not making fun of it. Mm-hmm. Although there are ways in which you can't avoid it. You know what I mean? Because looking back, that stuff seems funny now. So if you try to recreate it, it's going to come off as funny even if you don't intend for it to be funny. Yeah. Even some of the most serious moments I've tried to build into my films, people still laugh at because it's like, ah, there's nothing I could do. Yeah. I mean, it's just, that's what people expect when they see that stuff. So you do about one a year? Is that I've been able to manage one a year for nine years. Yeah. And I'm trying to continue that with number 10. Um, I kind of have the process down to make it work. Uh, and they're all feature length between 70 and 90 minutes. Um, and I just, I don't know. I feel like there's a, there's a fear that if I stop, that'll just be I'll it. Just, that'll be it. I'm yeah. done. I'll see, like, I'll, I'll see how, how much I like relaxing. <laughs> yeah. And be like, screw going back, man. There's no way. Might as well keep the momentum. Yeah, just keep the momentum. And yeah. two, I feel like having something new every year helps me to you know to continue that momentum and continue to come to conventions and like have more stuff to sell or yeah. more things to to i i did conventions early on i it's this has been one of the ways that i've i've sold my stuff mm-hmm. uh and and really reached out to people and built the the cult i guess 
uh, and I remember the early years where I had one or two movies and it was like yay we made a hundred bucks we sold ten copies you know or something and now it's just nice to have nine things to sell uh-huh. you know what I mean yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I maybe feels like it adds a touch of legitimacy to mm-hmm. what I'm doing I'm not just one guy who made a movie once yeah yeah uh, no offense to those guys who made just a movie once but it's like no I have a catalog you know yeah. check it out yeah uh, you don't have to give specific numbers, but like, what kind of budget are you working with these, on these? I always tell people I've never spent more than like eight to nine grand on any film, okay. and that's the high end. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of times, you know, around the five thousand mark, um, we recycle a lot of stuff. No one gets paid. Um, there's a lot of volunteer work. Uh, you know, locations and stuff. We just look for. A lot of times we, you know, we're from, we're based in Minneapolis, right? It's not exactly Hollywood. Yeah. So you tell people that they're, you're making a movie and they're instantly like, ooh, I want to be involved. How can I? Uh-huh. That sounds exciting. Well, I need a barn. I have a barn? You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Come on down. We'll feed you even, you know, stuff like that. We're just, people volunteer their, their stuff. And so we end up saving a lot of money that way. Yeah. Um, Oddly, I talked to another filmmaker who's based, who's done stuff in Oklahoma, and he said the weird thing is that in Minnesota, you tell someone, I'm making a movie, and they're like, ooh, that sounds exciting, I want to be involved. Uh, but he said when he was working in Oklahoma, immediately when you say, I'm making a movie, they're like, oh, you're making porn. Uh, really? I don't know really? what that is. It's like there's a cultural difference or weird. something. They yeah. instantly think, yeah. porn. Okay, no, it's not porn, it's a horror movie. Oh, so lots of nudity and porn it's like no <laughs> whereas in Minneapolis like oh that's exciting oh that's good stuff <laughs> sure uh, do you, you offer those online yes uh, I have a I have a website it's it's uh, sainteuphoria.com my production company is Saint Euphoria Pictures uh, it's all spelled out S-A-I-N-T and some people don't know how to spell euphoria so I'm going to spell it okay E-U-P-H-O-R-I-A dot com otherwise one of my films is called The Giant Spider and if it's easier to remember, go to thegiantspider.com. Okay. And it'll take you to my website. Okay. That's a pretty good URL to get. Yeah, yeah, the giant spider. I was surprised I was able to get yeah, it, honestly. Yeah. I don't think giantspider.com was available, but the, the giant spider. Yeah, sure, was, so. sure. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I do if you're a, if you're a, a fan of, you know, geeky stuff like sci-fi and, and other horror movies is one of the things that... Part of the reason that the the, the, the guy Kerm Kerm I can't speak apparently that's all right Kermed the toin coined <laughs> the term I screwed it up twice now coined the term Mimiverse is that all the films I make actually exist in the same universe so there is a bit of world building going on mm-hmm. uh, you can see any one of the films out of order and you will not be lost but if you see them all you start realizing that they're linked. Really? And nice. so you, you end up like, hey, wait a minute, that guy was in that other one in a minor role, and now he's the lead. You know, you get a lot of the actors who are will be in multiple films, or they'll they'll play their own kids in, like, future films. Okay, nice. Uh, and, and so you end up with this sort of mini-universe that when you see them all, you get rewarded for it. Oh, that's awesome. Um, but they're all, you know, and that's sort of... I, I also sprinkle throughout my films a lot of references to uh, modern sci-fi uh, within names or locations or something. We'll throw in little... Uh, one of the other things is that I, I, I put at least one line from the movie Ghostbusters in every one of my films. Okay, yeah. So it's a little Easter egg to see if you can find it. Um, and they're all... Uh, if, the, if there's anyone out there who has, like, kids, uh, they're safe for kids. Uh, they're not made for kids, but they're safe for yeah, kids. Yeah. Uh, because I do try to make it authentic to that style. And you know, back in the fifties, they didn't show boobs and spurting blood and stuff like yeah. that. 
So because I cued to that, uh, the, the film's uh, kids, you know, as young as four, become big fans because I would say they're horror movies that kids can watch and not be traumatized. You know what I mean? Sure, yeah. But they'll get scared, but not so scared that uh, they're, they're going to be, you know, messed up for life. Um, unless you want to do that to your kids, go ahead. But, I mean, that's the thing is that they are... They're family safe, but they're not family movies in the modern sense of. Yeah, you know, no, that's not like yeah. the. Yeah. It's almost a mark against you in these days. You're like, I made a family film. Oh, not interested. Yeah. No, no, no. There's still. And there's a lot of. I pushed the envelope too on trying to do, like, there's innuendo and jokes in there that. Because the 50s did a lot of that stuff where they're trying to push the envelope while staying within the those strict rules of conduct. Yeah. And I do a lot of that too. So there's. There's stuff that'll go over the kids' heads real nice, but they're some dirty jokes. Oh, nice. On okay. purpose. So. Uh-huh. Oh, um, so you write these? You write the... I do. I write and uh, direct. I also edit the film for myself. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's another way to save money, too, is oh, that yeah. every person does multiple things, you know. Uh, the lighting designer also helps us build sets. Uh, you know, the uh, casting person, you know, also does costumes, you know, stuff like that, where it's, it's a really small group of people. Uh, we have the, the guy who makes our masks, also does a lot of our special effects and, and prosthetics and stuff like that. And he's there, you know. I mean, we're, it's a really small, tight-knit group of folks that help me do it. Um, just because, out of necessity of just having such small budgets, but then also I've, I've built a core team of people who I know I can depend on to get things done, who understand what we're doing, too. Because there is a bit of that as well, of doing this very specific period stuff if, if a person doesn't quote-unquote get it, you're just going to fight with them the whole yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm not saying all my movies are good. They're all fantastic for what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but they run the gamut of, of good, really, really good bad to just actual, a couple of them are just actually good movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, even without the sort of cheesy 50s thing. Um, and some are just so awful you'll love them. You know what I mean? And that's what I'm shooting for. I, that's why I call myself the king of new old good bad movies I like that I like I, that just over the years you know I've tried to describe these to people and they're like oh they're like old movies well yeah they're like new old movies um, you know good bad sort of makes if you get that you know uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, something like Plan 9 from Outer Space or something like that that's a good bad movie and so I'm sort of trying to recreate that but I'm not trying to it's a weird line to straddle you no know, yeah I, yeah I know what you mean because like you'll see that sometimes but it's like come from a place of not necessarily disrespect, but like no regard for it. Right, right. It's, yeah, yeah. They're, they're just kind of making fun of it because, to a certain extent, it's worthy of being made fun mm-hmm. of. Um, but I, you know, some of the things that I look at when I watch some of my films that I realize is that the stuff that ends up getting some of the biggest laughs end up being the most authentic good bad moments because I was really trying, <laughs> yeah. and then I kind of legitimately failed. Uh-huh. Uh, and those tend to be the moments that I'm I'm almost more proud of, where it's like I really tried to make that scary, but I really <laughs> I screwed it up. But those tend to be the moments that people like the most, yeah, because they become authentic, you know. And that that sort of idea of authenticity is a weird. You fight with it a lot, you know, because I don't want to make fun of it, yeah. Even yeah. though I, how can you almost not even? trying really hard you're still kind of doing it yeah and that's the way it's perceived no matter how hard you try you know what i mean so i'd rather try for authenticity and, and really strive for that 
than just flat out be disrespectful yeah. to a certain extent. Yeah. You know, I mean, I love those old movies. Um, even some of the worst ones that people are like, "Oh, that's awful." It's like, yeah, but I still like it. Yeah. You know, uh, and so I want to show respect to that and the people who, you know, spent their time and energy. You know, paving the way for a lot of stuff we like oh, now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can make fun of it all you want, but some of those techniques and and things that you enjoy now in modern films came from that. That's the beginnings, you know, of of the modern blockbuster. Start there, you know. Without, I, I guess you could say, without stuff like people like Steven Spielberg, who really is sort of the father of the modern blockbuster, right? Yeah. But he grew up on that stuff, yep, you know? Yep. And so he cut his teeth sort of like growing up on that stuff that eventually turned into, you know, what is the modern blockbuster, love it or hate it. You know, it is what it is. A lot of what people, even modern horror too, if you're a big horror fan, um, that all has its roots in, in, you know, you don't have uh, like some of the stuff you have now without Night of the Living Dead. Oh, yeah. Which oh, yeah. was a black and white cheapie back in the day, you know? Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. It, well, it's like, and you mentioned Night of the Living Dead. Um, obviously, that's a huge influence on on a lot of pop culture right now. Yeah, with, yeah. With zombies for the last several years, and then even you kind of see the resurgence of a classic monster movie with the new yeah. Godzilla and oh, yeah. Pacific Rim and stuff like that. Well, yeah, and I think you're 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 seeing a bit of a uh, people are coming back to monster movies, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and even with um, the popularity of the sci-fi Saturday movies, you know, the Sharknados of the world, yeah, yeah. which are basically kind of the modern equivalent of the drive-in cheapies of the early 60s, you mm-hmm. know, the American International Pictures stuff. Well, and it's not surprising that, you know, Roger Corman's behind a lot of that. Yeah. Because, I mean, his whole career is built on that. Mm-hmm. And I was just talking about Roger Corman with someone else, uh, you know, he was way more influential in Hollywood and sort of the way things went. I mean, you look at, uh, you know, the people that Corman discovered and their big name folks, yeah. you know, like Jack Nicholson's first stuff was with Roger Corman, you know, and he was a behind the scenes guy more than he was an actor. And then, of course, he switched over. Uh, but I think it was a Francis Ford Coppola was doing stuff with him. And, and I think was it Scorsese even at one point maybe was. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure about that, so don't quote me on it. But uh <laughs> No, it's just like there's some really big name people that you can look and they came out of sort of the Corman school of filmmaking mm-hmm. that he gave them a shot right out of school and doing stuff. And then it became, I mean, they're the who's who, of especially the 70s resurgence in film. Um, that is, is interesting. I just, I, that's a whole different conversation at this point. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I guess we can uh, let you get back to the table. All right. Yeah. You've probably done a lot of. A lot of talking. Today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I love it though. I'm a, I'm a talker. Yeah, you know, I can, I can yak forever. I, I drive people nuts. But uh, you know, I, we have this, 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 this uh, phrase. We talk. You know, certain people come up to your table as a dealer at a convention, and they just want to talk. They don't want to buy anything, uh-huh. right? So I make a point to sort of like give it back to them, to make sure it's kind of like they want to get away. It's like no, no, no. Uh, You've spent a bunch of my time. I'm taking yours nice. now, buddy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep you here. Uh, and, and just try, try to outdo them, but I get a kick out of that, so. Sadistic <laughs> is what it is. I'm terrible at ending these things, but. Here's a tip. Well, thank you very much for your time. This has been great. You're good. There you go. Well, thank you very much for your time. This has been great. Well, thank you for having me. I hope you're, uh, everything turns out wonderful. Okay. <laughs> Hi. Hi. All right. 
We're here in a hallway. <laughs> this is a very comfortable hallway. It is a good hallway. Tremendously comfortable hallway. That's one thing I've kind of like, it, at first it was weird, but I've been enjoying like the downtime where even though it's in the public, they've got all these couches and stuff, and I'm just like, all right. Do you think these are Corinthian leather? <laughs> but. Well, they sure persuaded me to sit down. <laughs> you should have went to the punnel. I didn't go. Oh, I missed it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I missed the punnel. I was going to hide. <laughs> nice. Noodle. Noodle. Yeah, no, no, I don't know. No, it was good. It just it was uh, too good. <laughs> when they're too good, you, nobody sees them coming. All right. We're here. I, I always, I swear, I butcher, I butcher everyone's name. Is it Axton? Yes. With the T sound. Yes. Okay. We're here with Axton, who Jesse's talked about. I've name dropped in every single episode. Thank you. Uh, he might have. I'm pretty sure. He I'm might pretty have. sure. <laughs> yeah. That's worth checking, but you know. <laughs> and these Illuminati are starting a file on me now because of you. That's well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> they should. They should. They probably already had one. Come You're on. probably right. <laughs> you guys just wrapped up day two of your your artist duties at your booth. Yes. Are artist duties like everybody else's duties? <laughs> no, they're more creative. <laughs> Depends on what kind of duties. They have more finesse. <laughs> yep. Day two, in the books. Yes. So how do you... How, overall, how's it going at OzFest? Like, you guys said you had a pretty strong day yesterday. We had a huge, huge day. start yesterday, which made... The slower parts of today, not so unbearable. Yeah, yeah. Nice break. The, the yeah. pressure's off when you do well on the first day, so yeah. it's kind of nice. If that, as soon as that table, that table, the table is paid off, you know, then you can kind of just sit the back and enjoy. Off a bit, yeah. yeah, you can kind of uh, spend your time networking a little bit more. Sadly, I now understand a little bit how Michael Bay feels. Every time he makes a turd of a movie and he sees a huge weekend. Pressure's gone. I can make another turd next week. <laughs> so you're saying it's kind of a transformer. So it doesn't mutate into something different. Oh, oh yeah. wow, yeah, wow. <laughs> um, well, we've talked. Jesse's talked about you a little bit. How about you talk about you a little bit? Well, you do Zombie Oaks? I do ZombieOaksComic.com. Um, I'm attempting to work my way into t-shirt design. Uh, I've got a storefront on TeePublic slash user slash Zombie Oaks. Check it out. Uh, but it all started with Zombie Oaks Comic, which is a story I got obsessed with telling that I didn't know needed told. <laughs> That's great. Um, which I, I think Jesse mentioned it in the, the review he did. Uh, it all really started in my classroom with a, a classroom demo. I incorporate a lot of comic and cartoon style stuff with my middle school kids. And one of my kids called me on the carpet and said, why do you only draw creepy, scary zombies? And I'd been on a tear doing them for about three weeks consecutive at that point. And so I was like, oh, you want something different, do you? And I started drawing a little chibi zombie. With no plan, no intent, and he just happened in two minutes of me smack-talking back to one of my seventh graders. Everybody's laughing, everybody's poking fun, 
And she goes, no, it's not better because it's still a zombie. He still eats brains. I said, how do you know? You don't know George. Maybe George eats spaghetti and meatballs. Did you ever think about that? And it exploded in my head. Um, preoccupied my thoughts for now going on two years. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's, it's a world that keeps evolving and changing. It's not a zombie story in its essence. It's really a story of all the awkwardness that we see in the world every day anyways, just through a different lens. Had you done any uh, webcomic? Any type of webcomics before? No, Zombie Oaks was my diving in head first without knowing how deep the water was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it started, I went to Planet Comic Con in Kansas City. Um, were you there? You weren't there on that not, one with no. me. Um, I went with a couple of other buddies, and I went to a webcomics panel that had uh, some big name guys and some little name guys and you know different levels of success. And I'm purposely not saying one of their names because I don't want to name drop them because, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I came away from that inspired. With the, the core message of it all was, if you have a story to tell, it's nobody's fault but your own if you don't tell it. Nice. And yeah. he was he was pretty excited. I remember getting the text while he was still there. I think I'm doing a webcomic now. Yeah, so. and I, I had a different <laughs> idea first. Uh, my, my first idea, and I may still visit this, was a fly. A fly that gets trapped in the car when somebody leaves Ohio for a road trip to Vegas. And the fly's perspective of their, their world, and think about the scope of a, uh-huh. a, a normal house fly's world, and then the car becomes the world. Uh-huh. And then trash is introduced. Red Bull can hits the floor. Fly flies into the Red Bull can. Hilarity ensues. So that, that was my first thought and my first idea. And I, I started obsessing over how to characterize a fly. How do I draw it? How do I create a character that's sustainable and interesting and everything else? And then I gave it up. <laughs> because I realized that a fly could only do, you can only do so much with it. Uh, that's how I felt at that point in time. And then the, the zombie that happened in my classroom kicked me in the side of the head. It's like, hey, remember me? You could write a comic about me. And I did. Well, and before that, you had kind of a character uh, idea for, uh, uh, a, was it a squirrel? The squirrel, the kamikaze squirrel, based on real-life events from my middle school years. Oh, hey. We were hanging out waiting to have somebody's mom drive us in the huge station wagon to the movies and a squirrel I think jumped off of the telephone lines running over the sidewalk and landed on this girl's head and she's freaking out and the squirrel's freaking out which makes her freak out more and that moment is viscerally burned in my brain for all eternity so I created um you know, he was probably my first character before yeah. I ever had any delusions of doing a webcomic, before I knew what webcomics were, uh, of doing a kind of historical fiction involving World War II characters in uh, animal forms. So Kamikaze Squirrel, and I, I did a Hitler sketch of a, a doc, doc, Dachshund, how do you say that? Oh, Dachshund. Dachshund. Yeah, yeah. Um, mein, mein Wuf was his name. <laughs> Mein Wuf. And that, that involved potential for zombie parakeets, and um, Kamikaze Squirrel was going to 
be a, an eternal failure at his primary directive. And that, that was a big underpinning <laughs> Which to the story. Which is to die. Which is to yeah. die. Yeah. And that, that was how I planned to start that story if I ever got around to it, was Kamikaze Squirrel sitting in his therapist's office feeling like a complete miserable failure and recapping what would in essence become the end of the story uh-huh. elements. This is my first failure, and then this failure, and then kind of springing forward from there to to write that gap. Why didn't I ever write that one? <laughs> I, sounds I don't good. Know. I don't know. The fly one sounds good too. <clears throat> that kind of um, you guys would know. Is it very common for there to be like a? I know it happens because people get burnt out, but an intentional limited series web comic, and like I'm sure it happens, but it doesn't seem like. I think the issue with that would be gaining popularity because a lot of times it's you, you got to play the long game mm-hmm. to pull in uh, readers. Well, and also when you offer a web comic, you offer it online for free, mm-hmm. and if it's a very limited series, then or you get I the mean, whole thing for free online, and it you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which, for exposure purposes, is fine, but uh, ultimately, in the long run, you kind of want your time spent on something that's going to. It's be sustainable. Re- yeah, it's going to return. And that's an yeah. Good point. Good yeah. point. Okay. Yeah. And I'm. That's what it got me thinking about. I'm still a young pup in web comics, and my my reading list has grown exponentially because I keep coming across amazing creators, and amazing comics and stuff that I stumble across and forget what it was. I do that a lot. I bookmark them and then I forget that I bookmarked them. So I have to open my bookmarks to remember. Oh yeah. I was really enjoying Deep Dive Daredevils, yeah. which is amazing. It is amazing. Hey, uh, in our last episode, I tried to uh, review Lunar Baboon. Oh, geez. And, and I, I, That's... I feel like there's no way to truly do Lunar Baboon full justice. I don't know that you can without being able to visually show somebody. Yeah. It, it's incredibly creative. It's incredibly sentimental. Um, at its essence, it's the story of a 30-something dad, I would say, mm-hmm. and a five- or six-, seven-year-old boy. Um, and the, the creativity behind this comic is just amazing, and the feels behind it yeah. are amazing. It, it's honestly the only webcomic I've ever read that made me tear up reading it. Yeah, and it, yeah. it was a feels moment, not a sad moment. It was like, oh, man, that got me yeah. there. Um, but the the level of creativity, um, scuba diving into a puddle of spilled ice cream. Yes, yeah, that kind of thing. Dad, dad, and, and Moshi, seeing the whole world that's in that's there. in there. Yeah. Dad and Moshi are walking along the sidewalk, and Moshi's ice cream falls. I think it was an ice cream, or maybe something, something, something to that, something effect, to that yeah. effect. And most of the comics done in black and white, just very simple rendering. Um, when he uses color, though. Wow, it's powerful. And there's this green glob on the sidewalk, and Moshi's freaking out about it. And he, the dad reaches in and pulls snorkels out of wherever snorkels magically come from. And they put the snorkels on and dive into this puddle of goop that's this whole oceanic world. Yeah, and it's so bizarre, but it never feels like you have to suspend disbelief because you just, you're in there. Right, right. And he does it page after page. Because uh, I wouldn't have even thought, like, where did he get snorkels? Of course he has snorkels. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, thank you. That, that helps yeah, flesh out a, my review. A supplement a review to yours, yeah. Perfect, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's the best webcomic on the internet. 
I, I don't hesitate to say. Yeah. Um, day after day, week after week, it, it hits on every cylinder all the time. I, I can't think of a, of a creator that we follow that doesn't, like, at some point wish that they were making that comic. Truth. Hashtag truth. <laughs> yes, yes. What else do you guys want to talk about? I'm terrible at these impromptu things. Any? We got a full. That's right. Focusing on you. Right. Well, Axton, do you have any? We're just scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What are do your you, secrets? What are your fears? <laughs> clowns. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Clowns. We already discussed this. Terrified yeah. of clowns. So terrified of clowns. Um, and it's it's a lifelong fear, and I don't understand the roots. I don't know where it came from. That's funny. I was going to say, where do you think that comes from? No idea. Um, <laughs> but he's, he's a pro. on he's, couches right now. It's yeah, perfect yeah. that we're on a when, couch. When I was, t- like, earliest memories, I had recurring nightmares of every time I describe it, people are like, oh, Pennywise, you watched it. You saw a segment of it when you were that young. Was, no, it. the miniseries didn't come out until I was almost in middle school. And that was just this recurring nightmare about this clown trying to eat me and devour me. And somehow <laughs> my, my little teeny tiny toddler brain knew that if the clown ate me, my soul was going to die. And it was really deep-seated fear. Wow, yeah. Um, you know what? I think that's become like a, a standard cultural thing because teaching elementary kids, uh, at a certain point, I stopped doing clown projects just because... I think the latest that I go anymore is first grade, because even in first grade, even in first grade, these first graders know that clowns are not funny, clowns are creepy, and they need vampire teeth. Yes, yes. Well, and the, the one... They do. Every clown has vampire teeth. We just don't always see them. <laughs> Because they're in disguise, hence the grease paint. My favorite was the one year that uh, my first grade teacher, she would always she would always put the artwork up after we did them. And for whatever reason, she decided that these clowns, she needed to stagger them so that half of them were hung right side up and half of them were hung upside down. So we had, we had one of the monster clowns hanging upside down. It was maybe the most terrifying thing I've seen Whoa. in an elementary building. That's horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Axton, do you have any like future, proje- future projects that you either want to do, plan to do? You know, at, at this point, I'm still completely immersed in keeping up with zombie oaks. Um, I, I dropped a, a couple of ideas on things that would be a tremendous amount of fun. Um, the the fly would be a short story, though. Mm-hmm. A fly has a lifespan of twenty four hours. How long can I stretch that out? Sure, sure. <laughs> um, so you know, the, the there's that, and then the Kamikaze Squirrel. I would still love to see that become a story at some point. Um, but Zombie Oaks has kind of locked me in. Yeah. As far as my, my creative output, uh, doing more and more of the cons and festivals and things like that is awesome. And it, it takes some of those wandering creative thoughts and lets me put them somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, it's it's heightened my focus on my story and on my character development and plot line and things like that. And your, your strip in particular is a long-form story, so it, it has a continuous story arc that just keeps going. Yes. Um, 
is there is there potential for one-offs in that, or is there a potential that you'd like to spin it off into one-offs, or like the Joey Tribbiani show? No, 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 no. <laughs> no. <laughs> what was that called? Was it just called Joey? It was called Joey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah no. I, it was supposed to be ongoing. It just didn't. Right, <laughs> it and, just and didn't. exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, I the the world of Zombie Oaks creates itself. Right. And I, it's hard to explain that, but it's as I'm writing one thought and thinking one thought, something else just erupts on my virtual canvas, and I, it it becomes something new. Like Chicken X was never supposed to be a recurring character. I, I drew Chicken X as a background element, explaining all of the the depth of the depravity that was Dirtburg. That there was this genetically engineered chicken locked away in a bunker somewhere being researched on. And he busted out and was, in my head at that point, gone mm-hmm. for all eternity. And then he showed back up. And he showed back up creeping behind a fire hydrant I was drawing as a background element. And that fire hydrant became, and it the, became a and character. And then the fire hydrant much. became kind of a central <laughs> element um, without being a character, per se. Right, right. But it feels like one because it's always there. It's, it's always like there. this portable device that uh, Chicken X can hide behind. Right. And it's somehow like he brings it with him somehow. Chicken X is three times as big as a fire hydrant when he stands at his full height. But he always manages to hide behind it. Yes, yeah. So, plans for a spinoff? No. Um, is the story going to keep getting strange? Yes. But you're not going to have moments where, like, uh, John is talking to Garfield about lasagna on the edge of a table where they push Odie off? No. <laughs> okay. You completely lost me right now. <laughs> well, you know how, like, Garfield sometimes... Yeah. Like, Listen, that's a pretty... That's a pretty fresh well to go to. <laughs> There's a lot you could do with that, really. <laughs> I gotta get, I gotta get a picture. Sorry, not to interrupt. Oh, that's okay. I gotta get a picture of our podcast. Uh, <laughs> Derailed my thoughts. Uh, no, well, Way to go. Okay, so what I was thinking was more like how, uh, like Eric, he does. You know the hat and the fat. Yeah, and how he'll do paper plates. Have you read his yes. his new yeah, stuff yeah. of those paper are, plates? Those are really good. Yeah, the, those are those are getting close to the lunar baboon right. level of feels. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was just thinking, like, uh, you know, he'll do he'll do storylines now, right, right. But then he'll also have just little one-offs. Yeah, sure. Where, where it's just like a scene. And I know right now you're kind of embroiled in the middle of like a story arc. Um, I don't know. Is that how you think? Do you think in story arcs, basically? I do, and and usually when I think of something that would work as a one-off, it also can work its way into the the ongoing story. Yeah, um, okay. I, I've gotten better, I think, about sticking with an arc and finishing the arc. It, it bounces, it pulp fictions a little bit less than it used to, which I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Um, I kind of miss George and Pogue right now. I've been stuck in Musta Schneitzer's basement lab now for, it feels like an eternity, writing these pages explaining Ivan's new look. Sure. sure. That's, that's kind of interesting. So do you hit those points where, like you're saying, you kind of, it feels like you've been in this one part of the story for so long. Do you ever just like... Like Cave Monkey's Home? Yes. <laughs> I, I hit a point with that at the beginning of, of basically chapter three. 
how, how do you deal with that? Do you just like I hurry just, up? I'm just going to jump over here, or you, just, you rush through? I, the, I, I I button it up as cleanly as possible. Yeah, good way to put it. Yes. Um, without making it feel like I got tired of writing that and cut it off. Yeah. See, that's where I'm at right now. Is that I, I am in the midst of the storyline that I want to end. Yeah, desperately yeah. want to end it, but I also don't want to cut it. I, I don't want to cut it short and and uh, not do it justice. You know what you could do. I have an idea. You could introduce a Sharknado. A Sharknado? <laughs> Sharknado. Well, you know, that might wrap An EF5 up. Sharknado. An a what? An EF5. Oh, You haven't yeah. seen Sharknado 2 oh, no, yet, have seen, you? No, oh. but I did, I did catch Al Roker. I did catch that. It was brilliant. Episode. I've not seen I, oh, I've man. not seen either of them, but I'm well aware of the Sharknado. And I, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't get a chance to watch the first one, and I heard I didn't miss much. Oh, yeah, yeah. The second one was a lot of fun. What I've heard is that you need to watch Sharknado movies in a group. Like it's got to almost got to be an event, like a yeah, social thing. Yeah, my, my wife sat down for about three minutes, and then she stood up and she goes, "I, I fail to understand." <laughs> I fail to understand. <laughs> and I said, "That's okay. You can go to sleep. <laughs> I'll stay up with Twitter and Sharknado." <laughs> <laughs> and I did. And it was good. <laughs> it was good. Bismarck Key, my favorite part of Sharknado 2. Oh. Really? Yeah. <laughs> nice. I'll just leave it at that. I don't I want to spoil say, I think you've restored my faith in humanity. <laughs> Bismarck Key. Needless to say. <laughs> By telling me that Bismarck Key is in Sharknado yes. 2. Yes. And the sharks <laughs> did not have what he needed. <laughs> <laughs> of, course they, of course they didn't. Because not every girl's crazy about a shark dressed man. Oh, jeez. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Good night, folks. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Finn. Just calling it Finn. That was amazing. Finn. Oh, my God. It just keeps getting better deeper. or worse. I don't know. Deeper, deeper and deeper. Thank you. <laughs> like, was, it, was it a deep blue sea? Is that yeah. the LL Cool J movie? Yeah. Oh, that was about so bad. sharks? Yeah. I didn't see... That whole movie. But they weren't just bad. sharks. They were genetically engineered super, super intelligent. Sharks. So yeah. if Dirt Burger had a seafood subsidiary, or subsidiary bird, <laughs> they had a side project, it would be <laughs> LL Cool J's Nightmare. Yes. Yes, it would. <laughs> Wasn't he the cook in that, too? I'm filing that away. Was he? I think he was the he was cook. A cook. It was something... It was... A slightly insulting position, or like role, like a cook. You know, because you got the scientists and and oh, all this, yeah, and yeah. then LL Cool J the cook. Yeah, I could yeah, be right. wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's how it was. And it's clear who's going to save the day. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Jay. <laughs> he's going to rock the bells. Rocking the bells. And yeah. then he's going back to Cali. Yeah, like milky cereal. Wait, what? What? <laughs> It was on the Mama Said Knock You Out album. Uh, Milky cereal. Milky cereal, baby. <laughs> I'm not gonna you, hit a deeper, you hit a deeper reference on that. Yeah, I was I think not, we were I'm not going to sing the whole it. thing, no. Yeah. <laughs> That's a deep cut right there. <laughs> yep. Yep. Jesse keeps telling me we're going to have to have you on to talk about horror. Oh, yeah. Horror movies and stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. thought so, I thought yeah. so. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, we could get a whole panel of people that, I mean, would be great to talk about horror. I'm a, I'm a bit... Yeah. I'm a, I, I, I don't know why, because 
I'm a terrible public speaker. I want to do a panel now, just because, like, some of these panels, <laughs> like, it's, it's almost like a venge- uh, like a spiteful thing. Just like, 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 listen, your panel, my panel. <laughs> my panel would be better than your panel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My panel brings all the boys to the yard, and they're like, it's better than yours. <laughs> wow. Darn right, it's better than yours. <laughs> it keeps going. I'm going to get, yeah. yeah. <laughs> do good, though. Keep it, keep it clean. <laughs> Darn right. Darn, darn right. Darn tootin'. Better than yours? <laughs> darn tootin'. I feel so far behind on horror movies, though. Between having young kids and being so busy and having a wife, that's a bigger part. Having a wife who doesn't love horror. Amen. And really? Some yep, of the stuff, some of the stuff right. makes me psychologically queasy. Yeah. Like I, I, I wonder I, how much of that is just that we... It's like being out of practice, you Maybe, know? maybe. It's like, this stuff never bothered me before, and then I now I don't watch it as much. Your tolerance is... Yeah. You, you it was like uh, like I was watching Pontypool, which I highly recommend. Yeah, Pontypool's awesome. Yeah. Have you seen but it? it? No. But it was like, I was, I was really okay with it, and then my wife came home, and it was like one of the scenes where they throw themselves up against the window and beat themselves uh, bloody. <laughs> Against the widow window, and so I was like, "Oh, this is really disturbing." All of a sudden, like it wasn't. Well, a and ago, it's but intense, but yeah. it's it, it, up till that point, it's really not that like, yeah, that's gory true. or violent. It's but all kind then of then it kind of builds yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, it's an excellent like one setting, kind of low budget type movie, but it's really well done. Yeah, and yeah, you'd like it. It was on Netflix. It's probably not anymore, but. If you get a chance, that Canadian, Canadian horror movie. If, if you find yourself wanting to watch something visceral and odd, don't watch Rubber. I thought it would oh, be yeah. something and visceral Netflix and odd. Too. I've seen it. And, and it looked... Did you, did you watch the whole movie? Yes. I couldn't make it. Okay. Not, not because of anything other than the fact that I got really bored. It it does it slows way down. Yeah. Like the concept... Okay, the concept Once I think is... Rubber hits the road... Yeah, kind of. <laughs> no, it's kind of true. It, it really, like the concept, I think would lose a lot of people. I was kind of on board because it was so out there, and yeah. then it opens and it's just, it's bizarre for the sake of bizarre, and really that's it. Like oh, yeah. there's no, I mean, it's just weird to be weird, and that can go either way. It should have been a short film, exactly. But it like instead of trying to stretch into a feature mm-hmm. length, it's a, yeah, it's it's so it should have, could have, would have been a good short Sharknado. Yes, but a no. serial killer tire. So if they tire. if they tire. if they were to start no wheel, that on just a tire, if they were to start the tire on fire and put it in a tornado and drop it from the sky on the people in Manhattan, now, now, got we've, got a, now we've got a movie. You got a feature, okay? Yeah, tire nado. Tire, tire. You got a trilogy. What are yeah. you talking about? Right. Yeah, I mean, you could just keep watching it and never get tired. You're on a roll. <laughs> oh, can't believe you tread there. Well, it's all downhill from here. You guys are, you guys are pros. Yeah, yeah. I guess. <laughs> I guess. I guess. Yeah. Like you're good at it. <laughs> oh, Kiefer practices in front of the mirror. So. <laughs> no, no, I, I think that's the mark of a pro, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that, yes, I think so. <laughs> I, I like the puns. You'll hit some puns while we're recording the show. And I could see the pain on Melanie's face. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. and you, if you listen to her, like when I'm cutting it, I'll listen, I'll be like, oh, because you'll hit a pun, and I'll be like, oh, and she'll be like, oh. 
my, my wife knows what you got the highs and the lows, yeah. But then she laughs at it when we listen back to it, you well, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the beauty of a pun is that they're only good if somebody grows. Oh, yeah, exactly. You know? exactly. Like, if everybody loves it, then it's almost like a failed pun. Uh, yeah, exactly. Then it's yeah. just a joke. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> what, it's what just is a that? joke. Come it's on. It's just a bird play. Comedians can do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Guy Anthony DeMarco. Um, uh, I helped uh, develop a, a webcomic called uh, Villan uh, with uh, Peter Wax, and uh, we actually had just a couple of properties we were working on, and I kept some, and he kept some, and he actually got uh, the guy who wrote Xena to uh, write the, the novelization part of it, and he's got a, a whole web thing going. My daughter actually did the original uh, artwork for it. Um, this is my wife, Tanya. Hi, nice to meet you guys. And she's uh, just, I guess you got nothing better to do than that. Uh... <laughs> no fun, you got to be stuck with me. Oh, come on. No. <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm a costumer, so I'm uh, a cosplayer and a new author as well. So I hang around at uh, cons with them too and find things that I can do. So as far as um, uh, web comics, um, and you, you do a, a podcast, you said, um, in your review? Uh, yeah, well, usually, um, just to keep it positive, it's usually recommendations, um, because if you go review them, you're going to come across negative ones, and we try not to mm. trample on anybody, especially in like the web comic community. Um, especially if they're starting out. Because yeah. I've seen a lot of web uh, web comics where starting out the art was terrible, um, writing was okay, then they they did really well. Um, Sexy Losers is one uh, if you've ever heard of them. Um, definitely not for most tastes. It's one of those. It's like uh, a bad. Um, it's like if Oglaf wanted to get worse as far as uh, sexual content goes, it would be Sexy Losers. Uh, and, and that's actually a good thing that you're doing is you're not uh, you don't want to burn bridges you know, especially if somebody's just starting out but the biggest issue that uh, webcomic folks have is there's a lot of webcomics and nobody knows who you are so you're going to have a really difficult time trying to get people to find your work for example the biggest problem you're going to have is getting people to find where you actually are. Um, and what makes you stand out above a lot of the other uh, folks that are doing it? And a lot of people do it for three, four months and go, oh, you know, I'm tired. And it'll disappear and it'll just be a dead well. You know, the last thing they did from you know, 2002, and it's still up there because they keep paying the bill. Um, so it, you really have to, uh, the biggest thing you have to do is, is get your audience to find where you are and to keep the audience coming back because they're interested in the story. And you have to have some kind of hook or some kind of gimmick that's going to bring them and keep them. Um, I'm trying to remember, there's, a, there's one or there's this, it's a lady who is related to, or she's, a cross species is human and some kind of sponge creature and if she gets near water 
her, her boobs expanding. Oh, slimy cheese. Uh, what's that? I think it's called slimy. Slimy, yeah. yeah slimy. Slimy what? Slimy feet. Yeah, that's what it is. It's really a funny one. Slimy um, what? Thief. Oh. And she's based, uh, it's, I think it's a slime mold that she's crossed with. Um, and they, she gets, uh, uh, the guy who draws the comic gets uh, a lot of really funny, like, anime references in there. Um, uh, she gets this Japanese guy that's uh, samurai's in the shop and uh, is trying to sell him stuff. She starts pouring water on her shirt. You know, and he's starting to get the bloody nose. Um, <laughs> so it ends up being really funny. And uh, that's, his, that's the shtick. Um, and all the problems that, that occur because she doesn't like when that happens um, unless she's doing it on purpose just to mess with somebody yeah, yeah. Um, and there are a lot of uh, uh, mature audience comics um, those tend to be the, the most popular yeah. because people really are looking for you know a really good laugh and it's lots of times like Ogloff a lot of people won't say they read Ogloff have you read Ogloff? Uh, O-G-L-A-F it is uh, there's straight up porn in it. oh really? it is hilarious <coughs> um, you have to watch your audience if you're going to recommend them sure yeah but there yeah. a lot of people read them but they don't admit it it's that good um, it's probably one of the hottest ones that are uh, that are out right now because a lot of people <laughs> the humongous audience for them uh, the other thing you get is how do you pay the bills because you're drawing all this stuff. There are some web comics that will uh, try and expand. Uh, there's quite a few that actually uh, come up. They'll collect and put them in a uh, color art book. Uh, and they'll do behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, and that generates some funds. They do some Kickstarter stuff. Um, but uh, most of the time they try and get by with sp- uh, selling ad space. Um, but it's a trickle when you're first starting out. And it's, you know, you come in and you made like eight cents in the last week, and you did you know, a whole bunch of panels, a whole bunch of work, you know, I got eight cents for that. Um, it's a really a, it's a long tail type of uh, endeavor. You're going to start out, you're going to put a lot of time, a lot of sweat, a lot of effort, and finally it's going to start paying off a little more each time is going to start building. Um, sometimes it'll take three to four years for that to happen. Um, you also have to try and uh, find your your target audience. And uh, there's a lot of ways to advertise uh, pretty cheaply. Um, you can cross-promote with somebody. So if there's a real popular uh, webcomic or it's just starting to build, say, hey, how about I advertise... Mine on yours, and I'll advertise your, yours on mine. And you know, those kinds of uh, collaborative pieces work. You can do crossovers too. Oh yeah. So, yeah. so you start. Uh, there's people that are going to web comics right now. They enjoy them. They enjoy it in that media. So if you do cross cross pieces, now you're exposing your, your entire uh, audiences getting a look at my stuff, and then if I do the same crossover in mine, you know, especially if it's sequential, something happens here, the next panel's on my page, you go back and forth a few times, you know, for two weeks, then you've, you've basically mixed up the uh, the two audiences, and you've 
you won't double your uh, uh, your audience, but you'll probably get an up boost of another twenty five percent. I've definitely um, in reading in reading some web comics, I've discovered new ones, and um, some of them will do like well, of course, they're like guest panels, and then like even like fan art submissions, and a lot of times people that do other web comics will do the fan art submissions. And yep. then you get the link back there, and I've discovered new ones through stuff like that. Yeah, so, especially yeah. if they do a really good job with the with the art. Um, sometimes they don't allow them to script them. It all depends. Uh, some do. You, know, you can do a one shot. You, know, you got one page to uh, you know, have a good laugh, basically. Um, those probably work the best because you'll be able to show your art and your writing chops. And if somebody thinks it's funny. They're gonna go check it out. What would you recommend as um, releasing? How often? I mean, I don't know if there's an ideal, but how often should a person release pages? And I know it kind of depends on how much work and, and that. It, true. But uh, most people, it, it's now expected once a week. Um, okay. And I wouldn't. I would not release a single page until I had six weeks already done, because life is going to happen, and you're gonna to have to. You know, uh, oh, I have to go take my dog to the vet because he bit a porcupine. And I'm supposed to actually release something, so you can actually release one that you've already had done. Go take care of the dog and then catch up, catch back up. Um, and a lot of people don't do that. They just, you know, they draw something. Yeah, I'll throw that up there. And two days later, they have the urge again. They draw again and they throw that up there. So it's. People want to be able to come back and say, okay, uh, this comes out every Monday. I've got to make sure, sure I come here every Monday. Or I know it's they won't change it until you know, next Monday. So I have all week to go check it out okay, and be able to go back. Well, that's about going to wrap it up for... for uh, Ausfest. Ausfest. Um, and I was very proud of myself because I actually stood up and read... That was amazing. Um, the part, at least part partial short story that I wrote and I'm not the type to stand and speak in front of a crowd but I did um, that one was interesting yeah I went to that uh, non-superhero American comic books and and that was a, it was okay panel um, but I, I, I got back to the, that panel you were talking about flash fiction about um, 15 minutes late mm-hmm. <laughs> and on, I walked in and uh, they were like, you got a notebook and pen? And I didn't have a notebook, but somebody gave me paper. And basically, I missed the intro. Yeah. But um, they're like, okay, there's these four things. Um, 300 words or less, you got 15 minutes to write a story, including those four things, go. And I was like, oh, like what did I just walk into? Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, to make it worse for me, they're like, okay, well, we're going to have you know, we're going to have you guys stand up and read them. And they did it too, the two panelists, the Mm -hmm. authors, um, who were involved in most of the other writing panels that we watched, that we've seen. The the three that I went to had the one guy Mm -hmm. for all three of them. In fact, I believe he was there for one before. He had been in that room for four hours by the time he left. That's crazy. I know. Um, I like those guys. Me too. Uh, They were very knowledgeable. But anyway, the point is, Melanie wrote a story and stood up in front of everyone in the panel and read it. And I was very impressed. It was a good story, and I was impressed that you 
stood up in front of everyone and read it. I initially was not going to, but toward the end I was like, well, I, you know, I have a half, maybe, maybe even just a quarter of a story. It won't take that long to read. And, and most, I think there were only two other people in the room that didn't stand up. And a lot of the stories were decent, but I, I was like, mine's just as good. Mm-hmm. So I might as well. Um, It'll go quick. And it did. It's quick. Quick and relatively painless. You did good. And they said it, they, they, they praised uh, the descriptiveness? Yes, but that's my, kind of my bag. That's yeah. That's what most people, when, when I write, that's what most people um, talk about because it jumps off the page at you because that's what I do. Very descriptive. I'm a very descriptive writer. It's your bag, baby. And you react to descriptiveness because... Um, other people were writing the stories, and one of the one of the um, the one fellow fellow uh, he he had a very descriptive passage about the zombie itself. There was a zombie involved, mm-hmm. and you reacted to that one. Yeah. So you yeah, and, and rightfully so. It was good. Mm-hmm. Well, that's I, this isn't supposed to be about my writing. Or, it's about or, whatever or whatever personal things, but. Yeah, that's what I kind of what I like. What I like to read and what I like to uh, write also is I want to be able to be there and see and feel what's happening, mm-hmm. and that's how you do it is by describing it well. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not read in front of. I did not read mine in front of the people. He has not let me read read his yet, but he said he will. So I said I might. He will. It's not very good, and it's short. And it's if I'd finished it, mm-hmm. like people were like. They're like, okay, well, time's up, you know, who got done, and one guy actually, like, finished his. But everybody had, like, two pages, two and a half pages. I didn't. I had two paragraphs and one, the beginning of a sentence. If I'd have finished, it'd have been done in three paragraphs. Really, what I have was probably three paragraphs, but I write big, and I had small pieces of paper. So it looked like I had more than I actually did. Yeah. That was, anyway, I, I did enjoy that panel, though. Yeah, me too. Even though I was, was intimidated when I walked in and they're like, oh, write something. I was intimidated the entire time, baby. And then, yeah, <laughs> the end. But, uh, I mean, we're still here, obviously, at the moment. But for the most part, final thoughts. Um, I've enjoyed it quite a bit. I don't think the turnout was nearly as large as they were expecting. No. Um, this is the seventh Ausfest um, they've done. It's Ausfest 7. It's the first one we've come to. Um, but I enjoyed it, and I would definitely go to it again next year, assuming they do it again mm-hmm. next year. And this is the first, not only us, but it's the first con of any kind I've been to. And uh, it was not really what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it would be different were it a bigger event. But um, it still wasn't a, a bad experience, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it. I like... Uh, the panels were good, but I also like the, the atmosphere, just walking around. And this is not really a, a part of the con, but I enjoy being able to walk around this hotel and then just like they have these cool spots like we're at where we're at now, where there's just like a bunch of chairs and there's a waterfall you can hear in the background, and we're just kicking it here. I like that. Yeah, this is like my favorite spot in the hotel. Yeah, it's good. It's super peaceful. There's, and it's not just a waterfall. It's like a waterfall and then a whole little river system and running around the room. Two little bridges and it's in the middle of an opening and there's a bar over there and there's a bunch of tables with um, people from the con. have been chilling there all weekend. Mm-hmm. A bunch of the rooms around here 
or uh, several of the rooms around here have been uh, used for con purposes. There's the where they're showing movies and stuff over there. Mm-hmm. Very per- cool. They had a food room open the other day that Randy argued with me wasn't uh, open to the public, but it was. And then well, uh, I was scared. I didn't want to go in there and steal food. It wasn't for us. They had it set up buffet style, and like everybody was going in there. Yeah, but a lot of the people that have been hanging out over here have been people that like have been doing panels and stuff. Some of them, but anyway. And and <laughs> and also there were groups that had their their individual rooms, but they opened them, you know, for parties and and discussions mm-hmm. and things um, related to the con. One thing I'm. I'm I think I think a lot of people, uh, and I mean mostly vendors and stuff, um, people that had booths were disappointed with the turnout yesterday. Yeah. Because usually Saturday's the busy day, mm-hmm. and it was much slower than expected. Um, but Friday night, what I noticed a lot were a lot of the rooms being used for, you know, for the room 10 whatever, and for this type of impromptu thing. Mm-hmm. And I, there were several rooms with, um, like podcasts and stuff going on uh-huh. the one room we walked by they had the windows open and there's basically it's that actually looked like a conference room or something but it's just kind of a small room with a big table in the middle mm-hmm. and they just had the room was packed full of people just lined around the t- or sitting around the table yeah. and they were all recording yeah i saw and, it and i thought that was awesome and i was surprised i didn't see more of that at all the whole rest of the weekend although there were se- during the panels um, and actually it was odd it, it seemed that it was mostly the panelists doing it but it seemed like there were a lot of people recording for podcasts mm-hmm. um, during the panels mm-hmm. an interesting and educational experience and I'm glad we came yeah I'm excited to go home oh yeah because been here like all weekend I mean we haven't been staying here but all day yeah. Every day. Well, it was like 13 hours yesterday. Yesterday, 13 hours. For, for him. I, I actually... You left in the middle for a while. I went... Yeah, I, I, there was a, a block of two or three hours where I didn't have a panel I wanted to see, and I was beat, so I went home and tried to take a nap. Mm-hmm. So that'll be nice. But I like I like being here. I like the hotel, so I, that's why I was like, let's go record, sit over here where it's nice for a while before we, let, before we leave. Yeah. Yeah, I want this. I want this room in our house. <laughs> yeah, this room is much larger than our house, so we're gonna need to make an addition. <laughs> yeah, it'd be this room, and then, and then our house off to the side. Our house could almost be one of these hotel rooms. <laughs> Maybe two of them, so we can get you know. Mm-hmm. This is Randy. This is Melanie. And this is Jesse. May the Grawlix be with you. Thank you for listening to the Grawlix Podcast. The Grawlix Podcast is a production of the Electronic Media Collective and Vocal Arrow Studios. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. To hear more, visit GrawlixPodcast.com. Follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast and like us on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Podcast. saying i don't recall oh um you were talking about building yeah like I, I understand how that goes um oh come on you always put us on a spot behind this table
<laughs> I know, right? I know. But I didn't expect to be on the other side of it, you know? Um, uh, you got to be careful, because I've actually pulled people up. Uh, there's a, a guy who, uh, from a comic company, that was just starting out, 815 Comics in Denver. And uh, we were talking about comics, and we had a panel coming up, and I saw him at the audience, and I said, you, you are now on this panel. You're coming up here to talk about your comics. <laughs> and he had never been on a panel before. He did really well. Um, and he had always been afraid to go up on a panel and talk. Uh, I think Kevin Anderson was on that panel. No, it was Mike Barron. Mike Barron was on that panel. And uh, he was a sort of a hero to him, too. So he was like, wow, I can't believe he did that. Yeah. And ever since then, he's, he's always applied to be on panels. So, oh, really? Yeah. So you're going to be put on a spot all the time. That's okay. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's okay to say, I don't know what to say, or uh, I don't know, I don't have anything for you right now, but I'll think about it. Mm-hmm. That works, too. It makes you sound sage when That's you're true. actually gray and you're like, I don't remember what the question was. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk to you later. I don't, I don't know why I have to end it like that. We'll talk to you later. Catch you later. I was just going to say that. <laughs> Check you later. <laughs>